Amen, amen. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate y'all singing to the Lord. I want to tell you, you know, the highlight of my week is, um, is Sundays and Bro Days. And so uh, for those that are right with the Lord that go to Bro Day, then I'm, I'm proud of you. And if you're not at Bro Day, it's okay. You can still get right with the Lord. So I want to thank you for this opportunity that we get to talk about the vision of what God's laid on our hearts of why we even exist, why we're here. And so uh, I would like to introduce this today. So our vision that we live for here at Summit and why we exist is to love God, to live community and serve others. We love God, I think, in a good way. We come in here to corporate worship and, and we try to get after it, and that's a great way to love God. We pray that we try to equip you in your quiet times to spend time with the Lord, that you love God personally. So God tells us to love Him with all of our heart. That's our passion, our ethos, right? With the Spirit of God speak to us. All of our heart, all of our soul, that is our mind, motions, and will, right? All of our mind, so we think about the Lord. Uh, there's a book by John Piper says, Think. It's a great book, Loving God with Your Mind. Some people in academic world get caught up with loving God just with their mind, and that becomes their whole life, and they become dry and boring. Can I get a witness? Okay, I'll put it this way. When you sit in a class, sometimes are you bored? Thank you very much. Because loving God with our mind is only going to be as great as we love God with our heart. So without the heart, without the changed heart that he gives us in Ezekiel 36, when we are born again, when God awakens our dead spirit, when he, when he gives us that new heart, and then he puts his word in our heart so the spirit of God can speak the word of God, begins to change our lives. So we love God and we live community. We, we try to get people involved in small groups, discipleship groups and community, uh, doing, doing things together, doing life together, do a great job. Obviously, at CrossFit, doing that's probably the best thing, one of the best things we do. Our children's ministry, our youth ministry is coming up and going, so that's great and excited. Uh, but uh, serving others, I found with this that I'm not going to serve the Lord unless I have a heart for the Lord, because serving God without a heart for God will burn you out. Amen? If you've ever tried to serve the Lord, like I have, out and just on sheer emotion and will, it's not going to go far unless God has given you a, just a brand new heart for his people and for the things of God. That is why God wrote, for God so loved the world that he what? Because you can't give without a heart for God. So serving others. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to serve. It's, it's, and the question is, why is it so hard to serve the Lord? I think it's hard. I think you can find people, right? Josh Reicher did as a pastor, uh, playing a church in Orlando, did super well, and then he feels called by God, goes back to Lynchburg when he played offensive line there at Liberty. We forgive him for that. And, um, you know, because that was a season of not right with God. And so, I'm just kidding, he, he's always right with God. But my point being is that, you know, it, you see people serve, and right? on Monday, people want to change the world, by Friday they've what? Change their mind. Uh, we see that on college campus a lot. Uh, God, I'm going to change the world for you on Monday. By Friday, I don't even know where they are, uh, right? there. So that's what happens. And so uh, why is it so hard? Mark 10, 45 said this, for the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be what? Yeah, for this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, excuse me, I said it wrong, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in other words, Jesus didn't come to be served. But he came to serve, and the way he was going to do that, he spelled that out in Mark 10, 45, is, is to give his life as a ransom, as a payment, as a price for many. And so then we try to follow in Christ's steps. 
Uh, where, the, what would Jesus do? Bracelets came from, from you know, Charles Sheldon wrote a book in his steps and, and that birthed that whole movement many years ago. And so what happens is we try to serve. But why is it so hard to serve? Because our longing is to hear Jesus say one day, well done, good and what? Come on, y'all talk to me. Well done and good what? Yeah, enter into the joy of your master. And so that's what we want to hear. We want to hear God say to us, you did exactly what I've asked you to do. The problem is, is there's a couple problems of why John Davis didn't want to serve. I grew up in a highly traditional church in North Carolina. By the way, all welcome to all the people watching on Facebook, a lot of them in North Carolina, Jersey, wherever else. We praise God for you and love you. Thank you for being a part of this ministry and sowing into this ministry. So I, I listen to it, but why is it so hard? I want to give you something here. Uh, the first reason, there's a, it's all on Facebook uh, under Summit Church, but this is, this is kind of the intro of why it's so hard to serve. Why does the field is white with harvest, but the workers are... Oh, there's a math equation in there. The field is white with harvest, but the workers are... Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let, it put, let me put it in John Davis's language. We beg God... God, there's a need. God, your spirit has to speak to the heart of your people. Love the God, love the Lord your God with all your speak to the people to their heart because you've given them a new heart when they're born again. You put your Holy Spirit as a seal around their mind, their emotions, and their will, right? You put it around their soul, you put it around their mind, you put it around the heart. And, and so you've sealed us, Lord. And hey, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Remember the song? And so now, God, we're asking you to do something within that. So we pray that God would raise up workers because the harvest is ready. Many people will come to know Jesus Christ just because we're faithful to obey him. And listen, I know what you're saying. You're saying, so John, if I don't obey, people aren't going to get saved. Oh, no, we're not God. God will save them with or without us. He can speak in visions. He can speak. I know some of you are like, there's no way. I just don't believe that. Just go serve in missions overseas. You'll understand. And so God, God works in ways that just because we don't, might not see it in America doesn't mean that God is not in the global. And so God is going to begin to work. But why is that? Because there's a first reason that, that John was spiritually dead. I grew up in a worship. I would sit there every, you got to remember something. My dad taught Sunday school for over 50 years. He was faithful. We were going to worship. And every Sunday morning when, when it got to where the TVs were going and he, he was listening to Charles Stanley, he was reading the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis before it ever became popular. And he was, as a 10-year-old, he's challenged me, read C.S. Lewis. I'm like, Dad, I don't want to read. I want to hit somebody. Okay, never mind. All right, so I thought y'all would enjoy that football, right? And so, no, I don't want to do that, Dad. Let, let me go lift. Let me go have a bro day. And he's like, no, we have a Jesus day. And I'm like, oh, man. And I would sit there week after week. I would sit there and worship. And I colored on every offering envelope. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Does anybody know about them old churches that had the little rubber things where you put the Lord's... Do y'all, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I took those things out and shot them and threw them at people. Unbelievable. Those things are, man, they are, whoo, they are amazing to play with. They were the fidget spinner before there was one. Are y'all awake? Do y'all need a donut or something here? Because I thought we were at Summit. Like, we, we talked back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you'll take a donut. And so my point being all that is, man, I, I was dead. 
I was and I would hear the gospel every week. I was spiritually dead because here's what happens. We can proclaim the word of God, but until the spirit of God does something, the word without the spirit doesn't work. The word without the spirit. Well, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we work, wear many, work, many miracles in your name? And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of what? Iniquity, I never knew you. It, without the Spirit of God working in my life, all it was was Matthew 13, the parable of the souls. My heart was dead, meaning hard, so the Word of God couldn't get in to fertile soil, and then Satan would come and take it away. I would walk out of worship and never even know what I heard. I was dead. So that's one reason we don't serve. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says it this way, but God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with, with which he loved us. Let me say something. For 18 years, God chased me down. And in Virginia Beach, Virginia, as an 18-year-old, in that summer in June of 1985, I surrendered my life to Jesus because all of a sudden, the Word of God matched the work of God and the Holy Spirit in my life. Come on, somebody. You can preach this to your kids all day long, and they ain't listening. And then people try to Jesus juke you. Say, well, and they all try to Jesus juke you. Well, if you just practice what you preach, hold up a second. I can't practice what I preach. That's why I need Jesus. I am not Jesus, but I'm going to follow him. And I want you to know the reason why there's victory is because the sin that I might have, I'm convicted by it because the Spirit of God lives within me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is what? Come on. It's the Spirit of God in your marriage that changes. It's the Spirit of God in your personal life. It's the Spirit of God in your singles. It's the Spirit of God in preaching. God is not boring in heaven. We're not going to go five more thousand millennia of this boring stuff. God, we're doing the same song over and over and over. I'm kind of bored. No, if we know the Bible, the Bible says in Revelation, at the end, he makes all things new. Every millisecond, nanosecond is new, and it'll be as if we experience something for the first time forever. But without the Spirit of God, preaching is dead. Your gospel message is dead. This word, you say, but John, the word of God is living and active. Mm. You just don't know what you're talking about. You ain't read Hebrews, and that's why you don't even understand coffee, because Hebrews, never mind. So, <laughs> so, you just don't understand. The reason why the Word of God is living and active is because the Spirit of Christ, called the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and He has to raise our dead heart before this ever gets in. So say this all you want. But if it's not anointed by God, then it's dead men preaching to dead hearts. You say, but John, you're, you're, you're discounting the Word of God. Your faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word. That's exactly right. Because the Word of God speaks to the born-again man and woman of God, and they walk in the anointing of the Lord of God, and they preach this Word with power. 
And that is why the dead are raised and the sick are healed and the blind receive sight. And the greatest salvation of all, the greatest miracle of all, is that our dead hearts are made alive forever. It's one thing to have somebody healed from a sickness who eventually going to die, but it's another thing to heal somebody from eternal sickness where they're going to spend eternal hell away from God. He said hell. He said hell. Yes. So my, my heart was dead. And 18 years of hearing the gospel message, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Sunday afternoons, singing in youth choirs, doing all the things that church does, and God's love rescued me and you. But God being rich in mercy, he never gave up on us. And so we serve because we don't give up on other people. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Trespasses. John, don't smoke weed. Hey. I can do that. Listen to a little bit of Drake. Do you love me? Not only my bed and my mama, but that's for the young people in the room. Y'all kind of like that. You can say, you can tweet right now. My, 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 my pastor just quoted Drake. Right? And so, you know, you can do all those things, but I was dead. I know not to do it, but I did it. I willingly trespass. But look what happens in God's rich mercy and love. He says, made us alive together with Christ. If death could not stop Jesus Christ from being resurrected the dead, from the dead, then neither can my sin and your sin. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why is it so hard to serve? Because people are spiritually dead. I don't care how much scripture I can quote, I want to know if the Holy Spirit is anointing me and alive in me. And then the Word of God becomes alive. When I read scripture through the loving lens of the Holy Spirit alive in me, it comes to life. And I believe it, and I follow it, and I live by it, and there's an anointing in it, and it cuts right through the joints and marrow, as Hebrew says, rightly dividing the soul and the spirit. And I realize that the spirit of God within me is not, uh, I am not right with him, and so my soul, my mind, emotions will have to come under the lordship of the Holy Spirit. So that's one reason, but why is it another reason it's so hard to serve? I would say the second reason it's so hard to serve and for people to serve, to serve God. I understand this is not a plea for us to have more children's workers. This is not a plea for us to have more youth workers. It's not a plea uh, to serve them by the anointing of God. It's not a plea to have more people leading small groups and you getting in small groups and doing missions here locally and globally. It's not a plea. I obey because I love. I don't, I, I don't love to try to obey. But the second reason serving God is hard is our flesh is the problem. Until we reach our glorified state, there's always a battle. Uh, there's a lot of songs about it. John Piper would talk about making war with your flesh, right? Uh, a buddy of mine, he's a, he's a huge mega youth pastor in Minnesota. He went to, he was a student here many years ago. 
He's originally, his mother was, uh, uh, she came over uh, as, a, as became a citizen from Cuba, and he played offensive line here for a little bit. He's in Minnesota doing a great things. He tweeted, it was one of the greatest tweets ever. I think I tried to retweet it. It said, uh, love God, kill sin, eat Popeyes. And that's pretty much, that's, that's pretty much life. And, and right, because chicken's the gospel bird uh, for us. It, it, was the, it was the lamb for the Jews, it's the chicken for the Christians. And so, um, right, because everywhere you go there's chicken. And so my, my point being this is, I, I, there's a battle. Galatians 5.17 says it like this. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. I, my flesh says, I, John, walk away from ministry. Why every Saturday night, because I'm not smart enough, I have to review sermons, I have to work on it. It's, it's like taking an exam up here. I don't want to sit here and have to th- think and just read a manuscript. And all. I don't want to do that. Like, I want to flow in the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I have to review, I have to review, I have to review. And so, why is it that when everybody else is Saturday night that they're going to Kaminsky's and, and getting a great piece of cheesecake or whatever you're doing or going to movies or hanging out or going uh, to the beach or going on a lake, whatever, whatever. Everybody on their Saturday night, they get to do something. But not John. And so it's 1030, 1130 some nights, 12 o'clock some nights, I'm still working. And you don't think that there's not a, (laughs) the flesh doesn't say, why? You ever hear Satan's whisper sometime? Why? You won't, come on Eve, you'll be like God. And she wanted the crown without the cross. So, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. I mean, the spirit wants to rule my life, the Holy Spirit. And so I have to confess to you that what happens when, what happens in my life is, is I, before sin creeps in, I become apathetic. What is apathetic? I just don't feel emotion in worship. I don't feel emotion in my quiet time. I don't, I just don't, and I know you say, but John, it's based on feelings. I'm just saying this expression of God speaking to my heart. I don't, I don't sense him. I don't sense it. And so I become apathetic and sin creeps in and I just don't want to do it. I mean, you ever been there? I'm just going, I think I don't want to do it. Like, I, you look, I know, I understand your shoes. You got, I understand if you got kids. The hardest day of the, wor- the week is Sunday to get everybody ready and get to the house, on, I mean, leave the house and get to worship on Sundays. This is the hardest day. People get crazy. If it can break, it can break. If it'll go wrong, it'll go wrong. If, if, if you're tired, you're even more tired. I and mean, we understand that. There's a spiritual law in that. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the... Right, I mean, what happened when he walked on to his three best friends, Peter, James, and John? What happened to him when he said, he told him to pray, and every time he'd walk away in the garden, he would walk away right before he goes across, he'd come back, and they were what? Yeah. They were asleep. The greatest sleepy time you have is in worship. That's why it comes on you. Because it's a spiritual battle. The flesh does not want to engage at the highest level. Why has God an abstract thought? We understand this even in psychology. That it engages the whole brain just to think about God. Why? Because he's the highest thing we can think about. For they are, look what the scripture says here, Galatians 5, 17. For the spirit, it says the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. My flesh doesn't want to submit 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The Spirit, I want to do what's right. I want to serve the Lord. Listen, I know, and then, the, and then the flesh says, we're not smart enough. We don't know the Word of God. There's sin in our life, all this stuff. I want to tell you something. If I listened to that, I would never preach. There is sin in my life. I'll give you an obvious one, gluttony. I have back fat for a reason, people. It's not a genetic disorder. It's called a bread disorder, a yeast roll disorder. I smell bread and things change in my body. I can walk past and smell it and it's as if I never had it before. I sometimes have an outer body. I feel my spirit coming out of my body looking at all the bread at one time. It's amazing. Yeah, those are just, I mean, y'all laugh, but it's just simple. Those, but there's many more. In other words, I step, but if, if I said I'm not going to preach unless I become sinless, <laughs> huh. thank goodness I serve God out of my legal justification and instead of my lack of sanctification. Don't let that hinder you from serving. Because if you do, then you're really saying that, God, I'm not saved enough to serve. I've got to work and earn my way to be serving. No one will ever be qualified because Jesus is the only one who does it. Romans 17, I'll show you how here, how the, the, to keep you from doing the flesh in the spirit waging war, this flesh will keep you from doing the things you want to do. Romans seven fifteen. what did Paul say? For I do not understand my own actions. Right? For I do not do what I want. He wants to do the spiritually right thing, but he's not doing it. I mean, this is, this is a guy that has like deep revelations from God. I mean, this is a man that's an apostle. It's a whole nother level of experiencing the Lord. He said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. The dude was ready to die because he had had so many experiences with Christ. This world had nothing for him, and he would basically write in Philippians, but the only reason I stay here is because it's more beneficial for you, Philippians. <laughs> that's, that's a man. That's a man who walks with God, and he's saying, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing, or the very thing I hate. Down to verse 17, he says, so now, because he understands, he, he's doing something that he shouldn't do, and he doesn't want to do it, right? I mean, when I was unsaved, I would say, I'm not going to get suspended today. I remember on those Sunday nights, I would sit there and worship at First Baptist Salisbury, North Carolina, and say, I'm not going to get suspended, I'm not going to get suspended, I'm not going to get suspended, Monday I'm suspended. Because I cannot will myself to do what only God can do. So now, and so he realized, there's this, I, I hate this. So he realized there's this dichotomy in his, in his life, the spirit and the flesh. And so in 17 he says, so it is now no longer I who do it, but sin dwells within me. He says, I realize that, that sin is my flesh within me doing this because this is not who I am. And so I'll never serve God if I stay in the defeated side. That's why Romans 8 becomes so important. In this passage in Romans 7, he continues. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul realized something powerful, that without the Spirit of God, I cannot do the Word of God. Can't do it. 
possible to do. So the first reason serving God is hard is people are spiritually dead. They don't want to. This, this stuff is crazy to them. It's foolishness. It's weird. And, and there's an anger because what is Satan doing? He builds that anger in people to take out the things of God. And then the second reason serving God is hard is our flesh is the problem. So if we're born again, the flesh is constantly waging war. And every morning when you arise, in the morning when I rise, right, you give me Jesus. You, you get on your knees or you sit down or you open the Bible or you open your phone and you just spend time with God. No Bible, no food. No Bible. Now I'm not being a legalistic. I'm just trying to get you to get into him. He is. I mean, Jesus, I mean, what did Satan say to him in temptation? He said, man, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Yeah, the word of God. So The third reason serving God is hard, it's just like Paul realized in Romans 7, we can't do what God asks us to do without a spirit. We can't do it. We are powerless to do God's supernatural work without the supernatural. What makes things a miracle is that they are outside of natural law. It is natural for me to sin. But then when the Spirit of God steps in, I don't sin. And then there's a victory. So then Paul realized there in, 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 in that verse 18 of Romans 7, uh, verse 18 when he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry out. He realized, he, he realized something, that God is the one who had to do it. And then that's when in Romans 8, verse 1, therefore now, well, right before that, he says, Who will rescue me from this body of death, meaning flesh? Then he says, Therefore now there is no what? condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He realizes that the legal justification that because of the death, burial, and resurrection, the blood of Jesus that washes, that cancels, that erases my sin, throws as far as the east as from the west and to the sea of forgetfulness. I'm the one bringing my sins up to God. God has already erased them and moved them away. He already knew about them, but his great love blocks that in Christ and now there's no condemnation, so I am free to serve even though I am incapable of doing it. But by serving God, I get to experience God. Serving God equals experiencing God. So, for example here, the, the so powerful in all of what we do is we get to see how powerful the Lord is. For example, you see the third reason serving God is hard is we can't do what God asks us to do without a spirit. That is, we're powerless to do it. Romans 8.13 says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In other words, it's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that puts to death the things that we want to. Listen, it's time with Jesus through the Holy Spirit that puts to death the, the sin in my life, the things that I want to do. The more I spend time with Jesus, the less I will want the things of the world. The fewer... The fewer amount of time I spend with Jesus, the more I will want the things of my flesh. Are y'all tracking me? And I will not want to serve the God. It is hard to serve God. To be a member at Summit, we only have 100 members. 
right about 100. And the reason why is it's because we made a commitment a couple years ago that in order to serve God, in order to be a member at Summit, you must, we must follow Scripture. So he said, go make disciples of all nations, ethnic, baptized. So we said, if you're going to be a member, we're going to ask you to disciple. Now, we're going to equip you to find your gifts, and, and we're going to equip you to give you opportunities. And if we don't have that opportunity at Summit, we'll create it. I mean, that's why God sent you. Unless the Lord builds your house, you labor in vain. And so you come, and God has put things in your heart. And so what happens, we say, let's do it. And so what happens is God is putting things in people's heart, and we, and we begin to do those things, and we serve him. But it's only with the Spirit of God can we do it. We can't just start a program and say, hey, come join it. It has to be the Spirit of God moving so there's an anointing. So there's anointing, there's an external confirmation. If I get up here and preach, unless, and people are not getting saved, you, I'm probably not that good of a preacher. You say, oh, you don't know Scripture, John. Jeremiah, here's my old contrary to that. The external confirmation Jeremiah didn't have on earth, he did have in heaven because God kept speaking to him and giving him visions and telling him that nobody was going to listen. So God became the external confirmation on earth through heaven what he didn't experience on earth. There's always going to be external confirmation in the Lord. People are going to come to you and say, that's you, that's it. I have the spiritual gift of exhortation. I don't know why God gave it to me. It's, you know what exhortation is? Is this. It's Robert, it's being able to see what God's called you to do before you see it. I don't know why. And encourage you to get there. Now, I can't see it for me. <laughs> don't ask me. I don't know why that works that way. I think it forces me to need other people. But if you have the gift of exhortation, you can look at somebody and you can, you see what God has called them to do. And then you just encourage them. Oh, so I know on, on strength finders and everything, else, it's called the gift of woo. <laughs> Be a great Walmart greeter, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's being able to see what it's called in people. That's called the gift of exhortation. I know that the Lord had gifted me with evangelism. I don't know why. He just has that. It's, in other words, we're all called to evangelize, but let's be honest. There are some people that God has ordained that can draw the net. Billy Graham's one. There's some anointed supernatural way they can do it. We can't do things without the Spirit of God. So the third reason there is, for if you live, Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the Spirit, it's, look what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he said, but he said to me, Paul is saying, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't serve God in pastoring because I am a strong person. I serve God in pastoring because I'm a weak person and He is strong. Let the poor say they are rich. It's weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, confession time. I want to confess to you that one of my sins is gluttony. There's many. Let me go to number two. Josh Rice, I'll talk to you for a moment. I am um, I'm a jealous person. Jess, where are you, Jess? You're, you're finishing up your master's in counseling, so you might need to come up. I actually thought about surprising you. I'm not going to do it to you because I know you wouldn't like it. But I thought about putting you right here. Yeah, she would be, she would be going, no, 
hoping that I'd be like Jesus juking over. But God's like calling, you know, <laughs> gift of woo, exhortation. Right? And, and, so, and, and so I would sit here and I would say, you know, here's, what's, here's what drains me. Here's why I want to quit pastoring. Here's why I want to quit God. Does, and by the way, does anybody ever feel that way? Oh, y'all are spiritual. All right, so I guess y'all are looking at me like, John, you're a freak. Um, <laughs> amen. And I uh, got problems. I don't like it when, when bad people get ahead. I don't like it. And I, and I bust it for Jesus Christ. And the more I bust it, sometimes it gets harder. You ever feel that way? Why is it so hard for us? And why is it so easy for them? And they don't give a rip about Jesus. Oh, and I read in the Psalms, don't envy the wicked. But my heart, my flesh, the anger covers my heart. So when the Word of God tries to take root, don't envy. I, I don't, you know what my wife tells me all the time? You know what Lynette says? But John, they just need Jesus. See, she's speaking out of love. Now I'm going to come back and speak out of anger. Don't quote the Bible to me. I've read the Bible more than you've been alive. Oh, I've said that. Am I the only one just struggling unspiritual sometimes? So I, I like when she tries to see, see how, see how my flesh is against the spirit? See how the flesh is with? She's giving a spiritual response. She's godly, I am not. <laughs> Hello, you already knew that. And so, right, and so she gives a spiritual answer, but because my heart is hard, and so I don't want to do it. Jess, it makes me sick. Now, I'm, I understand my first response is, they don't know Jesus, they don't know Jesus. So I try to witness, I try to share, I try to love, I try to, but the, when, but when, here's what happens. When people want to hurt me, that's all right. I can deal with it. But then when they want to hurt you, because your family or, or my immediate family, I get angry. So I don't want to serve. God, you don't do anything for me. You do, all you just, you know what you are? You're that, you're that parable God that you let that person go wild to their deathbed and then you radically save them. And I'm over here grinding hard out in the fields, not having anything, and they got it easy, and they going to the same place I'm going. What's the reward? Y'all don't ever feel that way? Does that, I mean, you ever think about that? So my flesh goes up. And then Jess would come up and give me some scriptures, and I'm like, I don't care. I want, I, want, I, want, I want the judgment of God now. And then I think about it, oh, judgment starts at his house first. Okay, God, hold off a little bit, <laughs> right? So what happens is I don't like weakness. Let me give you another weakness. Let me give you the definition. He says, when he says, for my powers made perfect in weakness. Let me give you a definition. I, I'd encourage you to write this down in, in, your, in your Bible or write this somewhere so you can pray through it. Woo! I am not even through. Somebody, but we, we're going to get there. Weakness literally could be translated in Greek as sickness. Oh! Oh! God, you calling me sick? No, he actually calls me saved. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Remember, I say it all the time, so you memorize it. This, it means sickness. Listen to this, what it means. It refers to an ailment. You can think handicap, challenge, whatever you want. It refers to an ailment. Let me give you the definition of one of the lexicons. It refers to an ailment that deprives someone. Aha, I would spend time with this, saints. I'm going to tell you, 
I go through it usually before you go through it. Hint, hint. The best sermons that are preached are the ones that are lived. It refers to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. Weakness is the deprival, it's the sickness, it is the ailment of depriving someone of the one thing they would like to do. Troy, you're a deacon here. I bet you a million dollars you'd love to be a pro baseball player, but you've been deprived, and that is your weakness. Oh, I just went there. See, I came because we brothers, we family. Troy, Jesus chooks me all the time. What's your ailment? What's the one thing that you want that you know you ain't going to get? Hmm? Come on. You're like, oh, but I just love Jesus, so, so I just, as long as I have Jesus, everything's okay. Okay, Mother Teresa. Well, praise God for you. You're like less than one half of one gazillion percent. Is there one thing in this life that you really want that you're deprived? Do you know that is your weakness? How bitter was I? You call Joe Tafoni right now. Joe Tafoni was an uh, all-pro offensive lineman for the New York Giants. Call him right now. He was my agent. He's a great guy. He lives up on the other side of Columbia. His son was an All-American linebacker at West Virginia, a strong safety. I trained him all through high school and college. He went into college benching over 400, squatting a ton, running like a sub-4. I mean, this guy was, uh, he was unbelievable. By the way, he's a neuroradiologist right now. Live with Lynette and I when he was in radiology down here at MLC, right? To get into radiology, y'all tell me you graduate from med school, you have to be in the top 10%. And he did radiology, then he, oh, he turned down Harvard, he turned down Mayo Clinic, he turned down Duke, he turned down John Hopkins. I'm going to ask Joe Tafoni. And the line coach of him, what he told me was the Giants like me. Your dad's the same way. But I had a problem called height. And Bob Parcell said he'll never draft anybody under 6'4 in that position. How bitter was I? You know what I turned to? So what did I do, Jess, counseling? What do I do? When you're mad and angry and you can't have what you really want inside, what do people do? They self, come on. Yeah! You got to self-medicate that pain. So if I'm not following the Spirit to medicate my broken heart, I'm going to follow the flesh to medicate my broken what? And so I turn to things that would distract me, and I'm not going to glorify sin. Oh, and my sons, my children already know all this stuff. I don't, you don't have to worry about me. You confessed in front of your family. That's too late. They already know everything anyway. They already realize dead. <laughs> so you self-medicate. And that's what the world does. That's what, I mean, that's what we have. We have, I just think of college campuses. People are self-medicating pain. They have to create their own culture. They join this, they join that, and they create this, and they create an identity through whatever they join or whatever they try to become, and they self-medicate. 
Because everybody in this room has weakness, every one of us, and we are mad at God because we cannot have, well, tell the truth, shame the devil. And so how am I going to serve a God that I'm angry with because I can't have what I want, and I watch the wicked get what they want, and I watch the wicked hurt you that hurts me. And I want to pray some serious Old Testament plagues. I'm talking about Exodus people. But then God says, bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. How about the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew, where he says, you're blessed when people persecute you for my name's sake. I am living in weakness. I want y'all to know, saints, I'm living in weakness. Weakness is is the ailment that deprives us of enjoying or accomplishing what we would like to do. The the root of that word, actually, asthenia, when it says it focuses on handicaps that go with the weaknesses. In other words, we focus on the things that those handicaps that we have that would be what we want, and we can't have it. And so we feel left out. And I want to tell you something. If we try to just dabble with the Spirit and dabble in the flesh and just get through life and try to medicate ourselves all the way through, I want to tell you we'll never serve God like He's called us, ever. I am mad that God wants me to be a pastor. You say, well, John, this doesn't make sense. Look, I have to... What do you want me to do, lie to you up here? I lie enough. You say, you lie? Yeah, I lie. People say, John, how you doing inside of Mad as a Hornet? And I'm like, I'm good. I want to freak somebody out one day and say, you really want to know? <laughs> it's you. No, I'm not just kidding. I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's just, you know, I like to Jesus treat people and have fun. So think about Think about this, I'm focused on this weakness, but what is Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, and this is where we're going we're gonna to get to this land, and trust me, we're going to get here. Philippians says this, 2, 3 through 4, oh my word, I'm going to book. Do nothing, I'm going to finish this tonight, by the way, at, at 6. Do nothing, I struggled, I wanted to preach on this passage. Uh, Nick, this is one of your passages, right? This is you, you big PhD in ecclesiology and supremacy of Christ and salvation, soteriology and, right, pneumatology and ecclesiology. You have fun with that. All right, so, um, you know, it says, do nothing from selfish, and here's Jesus. Here's just Paul writing, and he's going into this great hymn about Christ and the humility and the supremacy of Christ. And he says, do nothing. He's telling me, John, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But God, you know, as an eight-year-old, I mean, listen, I have one of them old TVs. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Them TVs are about this big. Is any older people in the room know what I'm talking about that had rabbit ears? My, my dad, and I would sit there, and Monday Night Football came out. I'll never forget it, because Monday Night Football is the same age as me. It came out, and hey, don't judge me, I will Christian cuss. And so, I, I'm just kidding. And so, um, I, I was turned on there, I would sit there in my bed, my parents were like, go to bed! I'm like, watching on a black and white TV, Monday Night Football. Why? Because it was my dream. Now, look, I'm not superimposing my life on your life. Everybody has your own dream, right? So I'm not going to say my dreams are more important than yours, and yours is more important than mine. Everybody has their own dream. But the very thing I wanted is the very thing I couldn't have. Because if I would have gone that route, I would never do this. And my, my, my lot in life, my calling in life, my purpose in life is this. And there are days I don't like this. But then 
Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. John Piper said, here's the main idea, here's the whole point. You ready? You want to come play with me because I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to land this thing here in the next five minutes. So y'all get ready because this is no guilt. Y'all ready? Can I be honest with you? No? Julian, is it okay? When people don't come forward, I feel like a failure. Well, that sermon was awful. Delete that from the website. I know your dad went through that, Josh, a thousand times. Nick, how about you? You went through that? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant or honorable, one version says. The Russells are more significant. The Lonsberries are more significant. Kayla, you and Andrew, your wedding on Saturday, more significant. So my mother, who she's going to kill me for saying this. They're watching on some people online, so her birthday's coming up in July. It was a day and a half ago she fell bad. She's getting ready to go into surgery because they had to get rid of her blood thinner, so they had to hold off. She's in tough shape. But you know I have peace? People are like, oh, you should be rushing home. You should be doing this. You know, your mother's fragile. Well, willing, she's going to be 89, you know Yes, it's, she's in a position I'm, you know, it could be a lot of complications. I had to take her by ambulance and all kinds of stuff. But you know why I'm here? Because this is what God called me to do. And I have peace that me doing what God called me to do, God is supernatural. I prayed with her this morning on the phone. She could barely, she's in so much pain, she could hardly talk. to do what the Lord's called you to do. And you're not going to like it. Right, Coach Padilla? Huh. Can I get a witness, bro? How many, how many, for how many years have you and I talked, Coach Padilla, and you were like, why has God got me here? <laughs> and I would say, because <laughs> he called you here. And I wasn't trying to Jesus juke you, bro, but me giving you word, unless the Spirit of God, I mean, you know the word. Better than me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant for yourself. That's, that's what service is. That's why we serve the Lord. Why do we even have it on there? Because the gospel, here it is, here it is. Uh, the big statement, the big hook, the whole goal, and I just want to quote by because I love the statement. I, I like to just quote people because when they say it better than I can say it. Because I'm not trying to make things pithy or cute or or catchy. What I'm trying to do is just let somebody who said something powerful, God, speak. So Dr. Ballinger, you can get this. Humility defines a person transformed by the gospel. And he said this because the gospel is a call of humility. It is the gospel of humility. Because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Is that not what scripture says? But then God highly exalted him. I want to give you something. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon in 1874 in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I forgot, it was, it was May the 3rd, I think, 1874. He said this, whoa, come on. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're just too good to me. That's why I have this, my computer up here because I'm not smart enough to quote it all. But he said this, this is so powerful. And I just want to, uh, it was called the ear bored. The ear bored with an all. Which deals with Romans 1. Where the servant said, I love the master so much. Going back to Exodus, that if you love your master so much, you love him so much, he set you free, but you say, I want to stay. They would put, his, put him up to a doorpost, and he would take an awl, a wooden piece, and they would put it right through his ear. And that was symbolic in the culture that you are free, but you have chosen to stay. That's us. But Spurgeon, the great pastor there in England, said that when Jesus stood foot to foot with Satan in the wilderness, the arch fiend, that is Satan, offered him all the kingdoms of the world. You remember that in Luke chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 4? And he took him to the highest point of the temple, and Satan said to Jesus, you can have all these kingdoms. You can have it all if you'll bow down to me. Spurgeon said this. This is so powerful. He says, the archfriend offered him all the kingdoms in the world. And why did Jesus not accept them? Because, listen to this powerful statement, because he preferred the cross to a crown. Woo! So what is humility? I'm going to ask us, to, to, if you feel led today, to come in, in a minute and humble yourself in front of the Lord. And say, God, the only way I can serve you is to humble myself. I mean, what if we as a family of God humbled ourselves and said, God, I'll prefer the cross. You know why so people field is white with harvest, but the workers are few? Therefore, beseech the Lord the harvest and not workers. Because the gospel is a gospel of humility. There are more people that want the crown than they want the cross. But Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you got to deny your what? Take up your follow me. We can never, we'll never serve. My call as a pastor is to the cross before I ever get my crown to lay at his feet. On this earth, we will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Jesus is what? Overcome the world. This is a cross, and if we don't take up the cross, then the world will never see the one who was put on it. Tweet that. Jesus said, if I'm high and lifted up, I'll draw what? He's never going to be high and lifted up until somebody carries a cross. Serving the Lord isn't easy, and it's not going to, until I just, in love with Jesus through the Holy Spirit and loving the presence of the Holy Spirit, I will never do this. This is meaningless. This is a waste of time unless I'm going to humble myself in front of the Lord. And this is why I'm asking us to come forward. This is why I think this is powerful, because he talks about this in James. James chapter 4, he says this, or do you think... Is that up there? Yes, praise God for you. I love you, Jonathan and Katie, you wonderful couple, and Jewel. Thank you for serving because you, you know what? You, you, you should have a, your crowns are going to be great in heaven. Why? Because you're taking up a cross that nobody sees. Nobody wants the cross. Nobody wants to do what you do on Sundays. Nobody wants the cross. 
I wanted the kingdom. Josh, I get jealous when you go and your dad get up here in a power team and y'all are bending frying pans and when you took that Reba Harbin, you did it twice because y'all do all that great cool stuff. And I, I like that. Like me, I was a kid and I would watch the power team when they would come in and, or those people and I was like, oh, like I love that. I was just, that's just something I personally like. You like personally, everybody likes things different and that's cool. But here's the reason why he says, or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? God is wooing the spirit to woo us to do, Coach Padilla, what he's called you to do. And I don't like it. For the spirit has called, his cause to dwell in us. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. What does that mean? He explains it. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the what? You say, but John, you just said the proud proud get ahead. Just because God hadn't shown up yet doesn't mean he's not going to. Revelation 6, they'll be calling for rocks to crush their skull instead of facing the wrath of the Lamb. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The wind that blows the kite is humble, it's humility. Then he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Resist the lies of the flesh. See, the way I resist the devil is that the sin comes because my heart wants to sin. Satan brings the temptation external. The problem isn't the external, the problem is the internal. If I'm in love with my wife, I can drive by prostitutes and they don't speak to me. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the authority of God in us, the Holy Spirit. Not us, Holy Spirit. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And what does the promise of God say? And he will what, saints? Humility is this. It literally means to get low to the ground. I will never do the things of God. I will never serve. I will quit, Robert. I don't care how much money people make, because you don't make a lot unless you pastor a large church. Well, look around, we ain't large. The more humble I am in front of God, don't matter what you look like, the man, the more humble you are in front of God, the more you, you want to do what God wants you to do. But the less humble we are, the more we want our weakness. We want our physical ailment. We want our sickness. And our sickness will lead to death. The very thing that our flesh wants is the very thing that will take our lives, saints. There's a sin that leads to death. Read 1 John chapter 5. So God is calling us to humility. And it is not a place for the weak. It is a place for the strong in Christ. 
He said he will lift us up. And he will lift up your ministry, and he will lift up your family, and he don't back down. Your flesh was going to hate what you're going to do. And your flesh is going to say, why would we do this? Because we are offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And the very breath that he's given us, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, and when the Holy Spirit leaves us, our breath leaves. And we go to be with Christ. Youth will never make it without humility. When you come back singing, never make it without your humility. Troy, your family is never going to make it without humility. I don't care. There's a thousand boxes in the world. But what sets yours apart is humility. Because it's a, it's a culture that repels some and draws some. who God draws regardless of what happens where they come from he's wooing them to him through your humility it's the same for your family it's the same for your marriage Kayla it's the same for y'all it's the same for you hating in your ministry reading in your ministry Whew, I'm gonna start crying why did I even look at you you're the best basketball player I'd ever seen and you worked harder than anybody read I love you, man. I would, I, would, I would challenge J.D. I was like, J.D., he's there at 5 in the morning. I said, he is busted. i never seen a kid train like you, ever. That is your weakness. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because that path would have, you would have been effective, but you, I don't know how great you'd have been effective for the kingdom. And God's going to use your weakness. That story is powerful, Reed. And you walk around and you see people get scholarships because you had one and you are way better than them. Man, man, see how God is honoring you through me because you're willing to obey? And I've watched you dead, the head basketball coach here, cry over you. I don't want to be at this place and I don't want to be at this job and I don't want to be in this. Guess what? Take up your cross. Today's a call to humility. If you're a believer in this room and you want to get on your face, you don't have to wait till I start praying. Because the only way you'll accept what God's called you to do is to get on your face. Right? God's got to take us down before he lifts us up. Because then he can trust us. That it won't be us. It's being seen. It's him. John the Baptist decreased so Jesus can increase. Who's with me? If you're a non-believer in this room, your flesh will stop you from knowing Jesus. But if you'll give in, that is surrender, you will experience Jesus. And he will give you life in your heart and purpose, and you will be a rock and a fortress for many to know him. But you got to know that your sin is against you 
in front of an almighty God and only the blood of Jesus and his death can pay for it. Your works and you being here today will never make it right. It's a call to die on your face and surrender your life. You say, but John, I'm giving up what I love and I say yes, but you'll gain what you really need and you will love him more than you ever thought what you could love. Who wants to come and get humble? Father, that's my prayer. I just pray if there's any saints that just want to come and just get humble in front of the Lord and say, God, I'm, I just want to humble myself in front of you. I want to lift that in this promise. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Submit yourselves then to God. Lord, we submit ourselves to you right now by coming and getting on our face if we're physically able. Who in this body wants to come and just say, God, is it's a call to humility. Who, who says, I'll be humble for the Lord. I'll be humble who? Who will do it? Come near to God and he will come near to you. Right now, Lord, you promised us in the name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. You promised us and he is the yes of every promise. And we say amen. Come near to God and he will come near to you. God, we can experience you right now in humility. We can experience you right now that we come and we get on our face and we get on our knees and we say we will take up the cross, whatever it is. We don't have to know it. We don't have to know what the cross is. We just have to love the one who's calling us. We don't know where the cross is going to take us. But we want the cross before the crown because it is on the cross we meet Jesus. Lord, who in this room is a believer that you are calling to come and get on their face and say, God, yes, I will lead my family. I will lead this. I will lead myself on my knees, on my face. And the Bible says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call to him now in the name of Jesus. Call to him for healing, for deliverance. Call to him for guidance and direction. Call to him to make a way where there is no way. Call to him to give you courage through the crown. Call to him. Call upon the name of the Lord. And then, Lord, to the people in this room that are not saved, will they come out of their seats right now, come forward and get on their face and say, God, I'm yours. Now, they're saved before they ever stand up. But God, they have to believe in their heart that Jesus, you rose from the dead because you died for their sins. And that you're the only atonement that can be made for our sins. And that one sin separates us. But one Savior redeems us. Lord, I pray for them that the enemy would have no authority. That is my prayer. We call to you, Lord, in a place of humility. We call to you in our need for grace. We call to you, Lord, for guidance and direction. We call to you, the author and finisher of our faith. We call to you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We call to you, our one and only God. We call to you, our Savior and Lord. We call to you, our God, our Lord, we praise you.
in Jesus' name. You come. You come and stay on your face and call upon the Lord.